All right. How lovely to be here. How lovely to see you all. You know, it's, it sort of feels like a foolish church. Isn't that exciting? Um, so uh, let's dive straight in, shall we? Um, I want to tell you, a, uh, just to set this up, a um, couple of little stories. Um, there was a Sunday school teacher who asked her class to draw pictures of their favourite Bible stories. And the teacher was puzzled by Sam's picture because it showed four people on an aeroplane. So she asked him which story in the Bible it was meant to represent. And Sam said, well, it's the flight to Egypt. Oh, oh, I see, said the teacher. Well, that must be Mary and Joseph, and that's baby Jesus. But who's the fourth person? Well, that's Pontius, the pilot, Sam said. <laughs> Fair enough. There was another little boy called Archie who was asked by his mum what he had learnt in Sunday school, and he said, well, mum, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, when he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge and all the people walked across safely. Then he used his walkie-talkie to radio headquarters and call in an airstrike. They sent in bombers to blow up the bridge and all the Israelites were saved. Oh. Archie, is that what your teacher really taught you, his mum asked? Well, no, mum, but if I told you the way the teacher did, you'd never believe it. <laughs> In another Sunday school class, the teacher asked, does anyone know what we mean by the sins of omission? And Sarah replied, aren't those the sins we should have committed but didn't? <laughs> And finally, and there is a point to my stories, a Sunday school teacher asked her class if they thought Noah did a lot of fishing while he was on the ark. Of course not, said Benji. How could he? He only had two worms. <laughs> so, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff in scripture that's difficult to understand. And not just for kids, but for us too. And it's fair to say that the difficulty of understanding spiritual gifts is right up there. There are just so many questions. What are the spiritual gifts? How many are there? Who are they for? Were they for then, but not for now? And what about those so-called spooky ones that John Dixon referred to last week? Now, the Apostle Paul gives us most of the original, original material we have on this topic, and as I, generally not well understood topic and a heavily contested topic. Now, Paul is known for being one of the greatest heroes of the Christian faith and one of the greatest missionary evangelists the church has ever known, but he was also one of the most prolific authors of scripture and wrote at least 13 and possibly 14 books of the New Testament. Within that though, Paul has a reputation for being pretty complicated and some of his writing is downright difficult to understand. Sometimes we have to grapple with his text to understand the meaning. So it's interesting that he prefaces the beginning of his major block of teaching about spiritual gifts with these words. Now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
Paul obviously believed it was important for the Corinthians to know and understand what spiritual gifts were all about. And he goes to great pains to articulate and explain not just what they are, but how they're to be used. So important did he, did he consider this topic that he devotes three whole chapters in 1 Corinthians to it. I'd love to encourage you to go home and read those three chapters at some stage. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. We can't do that amount of scripture justice in one talk. So we're just going to dip into it today. And we'll also inform our thinking with a sprinkling of other smaller tests text again written by Paul um, because if he believed it was so important for the young church in Corinth to be informed about spiritual gifts we should assume it is for us too not least of all because this issue has proved to be one of the most divisive as much in the church today as it clearly was in Paul's time we're not going to start in Corinthians though we're going to go back to Romans, which is actually the first time in the New Testament that we hear this term, spiritual gifts. Now, rather than deal with the nature of the gifts, Paul first deals with their purpose. Now, I can't help but think that that's an entirely deliberate strategy on Paul's behalf, because the truth then as now is that the nature of the gifts on their own is often the divisive part of the equation. And that's why there's three whole chapters devoted to it in Corinthians, because the Corinthians were actually behaving badly in relation to the gifts that they'd been given. But if we understand the purpose of the gifts first, their nature takes on a new significance. So turning to Romans and the first time that spiritual gifts are mentioned when Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, I long to see you so that I, may, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, don't be misled. Paul is not saying that he wants to help them have a gift. Paul knows that he's not the source of the spiritual gifts but rather he wants to give them the benefit of his own gifts. I long to see you so that I might, may use my gifts to strengthen you. And therein lies the first important point about spiritual gifts. Their principal purpose is not to make us feel special or good about ourselves. The gifts are given for the sake of others. In this case, to encourage and strengthen the Roman Christians who were living, of course, during horrendous times of persecution. So principle number one, spiritual gifts are given to be shared or used. They're not given to be hoarded or to make the person who has the gift feel superior in any way. But notice too that as the gift is used or given, the gift giver is blessed too. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul is receiving a blessing too. So principle number two, 
Spiritual gifts are about the mutual building up of faith within a community, and they're expressions of faith that are used to strengthen faith firstly of other people as they are as they're used also inherently in us. Now, John Piper, who I don't always agree with, but I do on this occasion, says a spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word and deed for the strengthening of someone else's faith. See those principles at work there in that definition? Now, as we move on through Romans, we're going to go to Romans 12, 3 to 8. Paul begins for the first time to articulate the nature of the gifts. But notice he does it with a pretty strong warning that speaks to purpose right up front. For For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, It's a very strong warning. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is showing mercy, Do it cheerfully. So first principle again, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. It's not about you. And second principle, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. It's all about the others. Not about you, all about the others. And isn't this such an important principle truth about the Christian life? That each one of us is a part of the body of Christ, the local church community and the worldwide church of God. And each and every one of us has an important functional part to play because together, you and, you and I, we together represent, and our gifts represent Christ to the world. Now, don't just let that go over your head and disappear because it's actually an amazing thing to grasp that you and I, every person of Christian faith in this room, every person of faith in this city and in this world are part of the body of Christ. We're all tied together by sharing the same life in Christ and most importantly, we constitute the principal means by which Christ functions in the world. We're plan A, if you like. We belong to each other and we each have an important and critical role to play. We're in this together. 
We need each other and the world needs us. Now, at my old church on the Gold Coast, we used to talk about being one big, mostly happy, sometimes dysfunctional family. Perhaps you can relate to that. Now, let's move on to the letter of Corinthians and Paul's major body of work about the spiritual gifts. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, starting at verse 11. Okay, so let me repeat that for you if you're following in your own Bibles. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 onwards. Okay, so... Here Paul starts this major body of teaching that goes on for several chapters. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one, just as he determines. Notice that Paul reiterates the principles that we've already talked about. Number one, spiritual gifts are given to be shared or used, and two, spiritual gifts are for the mutual building up of faith, for the common good. But he also introduces two new principles here. The third one is that the Holy Spirit is the giver of the gifts. Paul says it again and again throughout that passage, through the Spirit, by the same Spirit, by that one Spirit. Can I suggest to you that now is not the time to get squeamish about the Holy Spirit. There is no question from this passage where the spiritual gifts come from. Paul said it right back at the start in Romans, the gift doesn't come from me. I'm not here to give you a spiritual gift. The gifts come from the Spirit. Now, some of us, have some sort of um, disease. Um, that's not disease, that's dis-ease about the Holy Spirit, about the work of the Holy Spirit. But Paul is very clear here. We need to embrace the Spirit's role in this whole area that we're talking about. And the last principle that Paul brings out during this passage is that every follower of Jesus Christ is given a gift or a set of Christ, yes, that's every follower of Jesus Christ is given a gift or a set of gifts. In all people, now to each one, he gives them to each one. So if we put those four principles together, we have this. 
No, we don't. I'll just say it. Every Christian, we do have it, to each one receives spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is an ability, a working or power that comes to you freely. It's a gift for the purpose of ministering to needs, service, so as to build up Christian community in size and depth, common good. Let me, tell you, let me go over that again with you. This is the summary of all that we've done so far. Every Christian, to each one, receives spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is an ability, a working or a power that comes to you freely, it's a gift, for the purpose of ministering to needs, that's for the purpose of service, so as to build up Christian community in size and depth. That's the common good. Now, have you noticed when something is important in Scripture, it is revisited again and again? So it is that Paul goes over these same principles in his letter to the Ephesians, which I've had up there, where he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, he, when he descended on high, he took captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. To each one he gave for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We're hearing that same message through Paul's writing again and again and again. Essentially, he's telling the early Christian communities, and by extension, he's telling us that Jesus' power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are now distributed to us. Some to be apostles, the gift of apostleship, some to be prophets, the gift of prophecy, some to be evangelists, the gift of evangelism, some to teach, the gift of preaching or teaching, and so on. Now the gifts are not to make us feel good, they're not to make us, feel, make us more superior than anybody else, but they are to give away, to build his kingdom here on earth, physically, socially, and spiritually. Now, no one misses out on a gift, and no one is exempt from using their gift or gifts. Each one of us is in ministry, not just those who are paid staff or lay leaders, every single one of us. No one gets to be merely a consumer of services. Everyone is a distributor. Now, the problem is, of course, that many of us, perhaps through ignorance because of a lack of understanding of our gifts and their value, or perhaps worse because of laziness or selfishness, we fail to use our gifts in the way that God has planned for us to. And that doesn't just harm the person in whom the gift dwells, 
but it also harms the community and by extension the world in which God has placed them. And it's a waste. It's a shocking waste. Now, apparently every Christmas, about 40% of gifts bought and given are gift cards. Who have you bought a gift card this year rather than an actual physical gift? Okay, not quite 40%, but getting there, but apparently 40% of our gifts are gifts cards. Now, I suspect it may have been more during COVID. Now, we don't know what to buy for somebody, and it's a bit crass just to give them cash, so somehow or other it seems nicer just to pop that little gift card into, uh, into a cards, and they can redeem it themselves. The problem is that they don't. That, and apparently Australians spend over a billion dollars on these cards every year, and guess how many are never redeemed? Over 30%. 30% of those gift cards have never been redeemed. When I was doing my research for this, I was flicking through my notes and found a Bunnings gift card, Peter Lipset. <laughs> it's for $50. It's never been redeemed. And apparently, most gift cards are misplaced, accidentally thrown out, or forgotten about entirely. There is no Bunnings in the city. We live at Barangaroo. <laughs> in the same way, I wonder how many of God's gifts to us, our spiritual gifts, are never redeemed. Have we misplaced them? Have we forgotten them? Have we kept them to ourselves? Are they unused? Every single Occurrence of that represents an opportunity where the body of Christ hasn't been built up because we didn't use our gift. The opportunity is lost. Now, opportunities to serve each other come and go. Sometimes they go forever. Opportunities to make a difference gone forever. Opportunities to honour and glorify God, wasted. Now, I don't think any one of us would deliberately not take those opportunities, but it's worth thinking about. You know, Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, said this, the glory of God is man, and I'd add woman, fully alive. Now, another way of saying it, this is that God is truly glorified when we live the life of grace that he planned for us to here on earth. When we serve, when we use our God-given gifts, when the body of Christ is built up, when we, when we as individuals and by extension the church function in the way that God designed and gifted us to, when we each play our part. And if we do that, if we do that, it paints a beautiful picture of what the church is. Not just a group of pious religious people who gather together in a holy huddle 
to enjoy religious goods and services, but a group of people who share this same with God life. We belong to the same Lord Jesus Christ. We're filled with the same Holy Spirit. We're each uniquely gifted by that Spirit and we function together to mutually build each other up and to change the world for the glory of God. None of us insignificant, none of us independent, diverse but unified for the common good. Now, back in the Middle Ages, Gothic churches all across Europe were built in a similar fashion. A quarry site would be established sometimes, you know, up to 100 kilometres away or so um, from the place where the church was being built. And when the rocks were mined, volunteers from all over the countryside would form a human chain of people from the quarry to the building site. Imagine the number of people you would need to make up a human chain of over 100 kilometers. And the rocks would be passed from hand to hand, all the way from the quarry to the building site. And rock by rock, the church would be built. The reality is that today, you and I are still called to build the church. Not the building so much, of course, but the real church, the body of the people who make it up. And each one of us is a vital link. We're much more impactful together than on our own. None insignificant, none independent, diverse but unified for the common good. And of course, I'm not just talking about the common good within these walls, probably not even talking about the, for the common good within these walls very much, for the common good outside. Now let's turn back to Corinthians to talk for a few minutes about the nature of the gifts themselves. Now we could spend a whole lot of time on this, but I just want to open up the conversation um, and thinking about this. And we'll have more opportunity to talk about these over lunch and in groups this afternoon. The key word from our Bible reading is different. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all. It works all of them in all. So different, different, different. Another word might be diverse. So we understand that there are a diverse range and variety of individual gifts. And certainly I would say that the list in the Corinthians passage isn't necessarily exhaustive. There's no suggestion that that's a list in its entirety. Now, Tim Keller um, helpfully categorizes three different kinds of gifts. And he divides them up like this, prophetic gifts, priestly gifts, and kingly gifts. We're just gonna take a little look at each of those categories. Again, I wanna stress as we do that, that I'm not suggesting what I'm giving you here is an exhaustive list. I'm not even sure that an exhaustive list exists. Justin's nodding, that's good. Okay, so prophetic gifts. Uh, I think what Bronwyn talked about before uh, was a prophetic gift 
that they experienced and were blessed by. So these are, the, uh, these are abilities that are based on understanding and articulating truth. Uh, generally, they represent God to others and they're generally marked by boldness and clarity. And would you say that that was the case, Graham? Now, um, other biblical examples include evangelism or the ability to help people believe. And I've got a whole stack of references there that I'm not going to go through, but it would be great for you to look these up later and check them out for yourself. So I've said um, evangelism in... Um, uh, the Ephesians 4 passage, teaching um, or helping people to learn, that's 1 Corinthians 12, 29, speaking or preaching and Laurel, I'd, I'd add writing um, because this is, about the, uh, this is a, a, about the ability to communicate in a compelling way. It's just that not many people could write back in those days, of course, when Paul was writing this. The gift of knowledge, that's at 1 Corinthians 12, 8, discerning of spirits, 1 Corinthians 12.10, insight, the ability to tell the authentic from the false, that's a very handy spiritual gift. Not always, you're not always thanked for that gift, is my experience. Um, prophecy, Ephesians 4.11 and 1 Corinthians 12.10, um, or unusually dynamic and illuminated truth-telling, that's that prophecy again, and the charismatic gifts of tongues and the interpretation of tongues at 1 Corinthians 14.2. Grab a picture of that, these slides if you want so that you can look up these um, passages later. Okay, priestly gifts. Um, these are abilities that are based on understanding and supplying basic needs. Um, they represent um, others to God and the world and are marked by sympathy and sacrifice. So biblical examples here include encouraging, Romans 12.8, helping, 1 Corinthians 12.28, yes, helping is very much recognized as a spiritual gift, but I've got something more to say about that later. It's not a cop-out for those of us who don't have that gift. Healing and miracles, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 again. Um, pastoring, um, pastoring, pastoring, um, Ephesians 4, 11. Serving, Romans 12, 7 or specifically meeting others' practical needs, sharing or generosity, again, Romans 12.8, mercy, Romans 12.8 again, or ministry through deep empathy. Lots of repeats of those verses, obviously. And then, um, then we have the kingly gifts, which are abilities based on understanding direction and group needs. So these represent Christ's vision to others and they're marked by wisdom and practicality. And biblical examples here include apostleship. Um, have a look in Ephesians 4:11 or 1 Corinthians 12:28 for apostleship. This is a founder gift, a plowing of new ground, if you like. The gift of leadership, again, Romans 12, 8, or uniting people toward a vision. Um, and 
and of administration, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 again, which is the ability to organize a task and get it done. And when Chris spoke to us before, uh, I really heard those dual gifts of leadership. He had a vision uniting people around that vision for what welcoming would look like in the 4pm community um, and the ability to organise the task and get it done. So leadership and administration is a dual pairing of gifts. Wisdom, 12, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 again. And faith, faith is a gift, um, particular faith. Um, Corinthians 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 9. Um, Belle, forgive me for calling you out, but I wonder whether you have the spiritual gift of faith. As, as I've heard you speak in this last year in particular, as I've read your responses to prayers, uh, your deep faith just has welled up. And I thought, you know, that's, that just doesn't happen. That, that's deep within her. And I have to tell you that every time I read it, I read your words about having great faith in God and your healing journey, that, that inspires faith in me. And I imagine others are exactly the same. So again, forgive me for calling you out, hopefully in a good way, but a, that deep faith that's right in there and nothing's going to get rid of it and that builds faith in other people. Okay, now, when I mentioned Chris, I talked about um, uh, the, the, the gifts coming in a cluster of leadership and administration, and that's very common. Um, we may have a dominant gift, but it's likely to be paired to one or two others that are almost equally as strong. And, you know, it's important we recognise that there are no right, right or wrong gifts or combinations of gifts. Um, there is no higher or more important gift. None is more special or to be highly valued than any of the others. None is indicative of a superior or inferior spiritual state. Again, Tim Keller says this, Every believer has an almost unique gift matrix. We have different gifts in different constellations. We have different gifts for different ministry venues and objects. We have different levels of ability. On top of this, there are different seasons in our lives where the context we live in call the gifts out in us in different ways. Put these variables together and each person's ministry may be as unique as a thumbprint. By implication, there are some deeds in life that only you can do. And there are some people to reach whom only you can reach. Spiritual gifts fit you for your mission in life. Now that, from Tim Keller, sounds like something you might have heard before. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not saved by good works, but certainly for them. And of course, you've read that before in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Now, many years ago, 
in an entirely different context to this or even my previous church context, there was a gift that I wanted to have. It seemed to me, and I think it's true, that this gift was more highly prized in that particular church community um, that Pet and I were a part of at the time, and there's problem number one right there. And I yearned and hungered and prayed to receive that gift, problem number two. Time after time I prayed for it. Time after time I was disappointed. And one day, at the end of a service, I stepped forward for prayer. It was, uh, again, the, the, uh, the, the routine, if you like, we would gather at the front um, to pray. It was customary to pray at the front of the church in that community. And, and once again, I wanted to be prayed for for that gift. And as I left my seat and moved down the aisle, I was suddenly stopped in my tracks. Now, I know this sounds spooky. I am the least spooky person in the world. My small group and my husband will tell you this, but I was rooted to the spot. I could see where I wanted to go. I wanted to the, go to the front. I wanted people to lay hands on me and pray for that gift, but I could not move. My feet were like they were chained in the aisle. And as I was, what's going on? Why can't I move my body? I swear to you, I heard the audible voice of God. It's the only time in my life that God has ever been that clear with me and I will never forget it. It's as real to me today as it was in that moment. And this voice said, and I have to say, he sounded exasperated, this voice said, stop whinging about the gift that you don't have and get on and use those that you do. It was remarkable. It was absolutely remarkable. I, had, I was totally called out by what was a loud, audible voice. And I looked around as much as my stuck feet would let me because somebody had to be saying that out loud and you know everybody must have heard it but you know everybody else was just going about their quiet prayerful business seemingly nobody else had heard that voice i heard it and i was able to turn around and go back to my seat it took me quite some time to come to terms with what had just happened and, you know, in the weeks and months after that, I was led into ministry in a series of only God's circumstances that I could never have envisaged or planned. And I got to use the gifts that God had actually given me. And I got to use them in a local community church context over a 20 or so year period. I never ever did get that gift I prayed for. And today I'm thankful for that. What I got was a very clear understanding that God had uniquely gifted me and I needed to get on and use those gifts.
While I was lamenting the lack of what seemed like the most desirable gift, God couldn't use me at all. Truth be told, I think desiring gift was all about me. It would make me feel special. And that was such a consumer and solitary mentality. Um, And when I turned away from that and instead turned to serve God in whatever way I could, I learned a whole lot more about my real gifts and capabilities. And I got to see amazing things happen in and through the body of Christ for the part that I got to play. So let me recap this section. I believe that every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus is uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve. The gifts are not to edify ourselves. They're given to be used or given away. No gift is more special or more important than the other, and there is no rank order. All the gifts are important and each person has a role to play. If we don't do what God has designed and planned and called us to do, we all suffer. The body of Christ suffers, the community suffers and the world suffers. We need each other. That's the way God designed for it to be. And when we all play our parts, it's a beautiful and a God-honouring thing. And not surprisingly, when we glorify and honour God, God works and moves within that. Now, in his book, um, Messy Spirituality, um, Mike Iaconelli writes of how individual believers who may think that they're insignificant are are brought together in the body of Christ to create a magnificent work of art. Let me read to you from his book. Moorshead, Minnesota is the home of Concordia College. Have you ever been there? No, okay. Has anyone ever been there, Concordia College in Minnesota? Okay, sometimes somebody has. It's a very bleak part of the country apparently, especially in winter, and all year the community anticipates Concordia's annual Christmas concert. Each December, a huge choir and an equally big orchestra give a musical performance um, in the concert hall at the college. Over 500 performers are on stage, but many, many hundreds more, arguably far less talented people in the local community, also play a vital role by creating a unique backdrop for the concert, 35 metres by 10 metres. It's a mosaic. Now, beginning every summer, about six months before the concert, the community designs a new mosaic They rent an empty building and the painting begins. Hundreds of people of every age paint the mosaic. They paint by number on a large scale design that has thousands and thousands of tiny pieces. Day after day, month after month, one little painted piece at a time, the picture on the mosaic gradually takes shape. And when the mosaic is completed, they place it behind the choir. It has the appearance of a beautiful stained glass window. And every year, thousands of unknown, ordinary people paint a tiny, insignificant tile, and the result 
is an absolute masterpiece. How much more so is the master artist and creator able to use the work and service of ordinary, seemingly insignificant people like you and me together to create a masterpiece? All of us, part of that one big, mostly happy, sometimes dysfunctional family. But if we play our part, anything and everything is possible in and through God. I didn't grow new life from 53 people to 2,000 people. I just played a small part, a very small part. Together, the body of Christ painted a magnificent mosaic in that place. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to paint my part in God's great mosaic. I may be old-fashioned, I am, I know I am, but I do believe that one day I'm going to have to stand in front of God and account for the gifts and graces he's given me. And I don't want to be found lacking. I don't want to be told that I haven't played my part. Now, given that Paul has so much to say about the spiritual gifts themselves, it's somewhat surprising to find that nothing is said about discovering our gifts. Again, I think there's a reason for that. There's potentially two very human problems that tend to go along with discovering our spiritual gifts in any sort of prescribed way and without context. First of all, there's gift cop-out. When we see something that needs to be done and we say, it's not my problem, I'm not gifted at that. And we spend so much time and energy clinging to our gift that we neglect the God-given opportunities to simply serve. Now, a good example of this concerns sharing our faith. While some of us are truly gifted as evangelists, the simple fact of the matter is that we're all called to witness and share our faith. And another area is that gifting of helps. Yes, there are people who have a remarkable propensity to give true assistance across a, very, across a huge range of areas and tasks without desiring the opportunity to lead, but none of us is exempt from serving each other and those around us. We all get to clean the bathrooms. We don't get to watch someone do all the menial tasks and chores and excuse ourselves because we don't have the gift of helping. Likewise, not all of us have the gift of generosity, but all of us are called to be generous and to give. So we can't ever forget, we must never forget that our primary role, following the example of Jesus himself, is simply to be a servant. Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Now, there's a bit of a tale about this problem. Um, 
This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody and nobody. There was an important job to do and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but, um, any, but nobody realised that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Does that sound familiar? Second problem with being entirely focused on discovering and then only serving within that area of gifting is that of gift projection. That's when we make ourselves feel guilty um, or inferior with the idea that we aren't as gifted or as good or as spiritual as somebody else is. Or alternatively, when we make other people feel that way. Remember, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment. And if your problem is perceived inadequacy, it might be handy to keep this African proverb in mind. If you think you're too small to make a difference, try spending the night in a closed room with a mosquito. There are any number of spiritual gift discovery tests and tools out there you can do, and I, and I encourage you to use them, but hold the outcome somewhat lightly. I suspect the Bible doesn't lay out any particular process because it's really much more interested in us learning to serve first and foremost. But if you've already developed a servant mentality, a I'm privileged to be a part of this body and I'll do whatever God calls me to do um, to, for the sake of this and his kingdom, then there's a couple of factors um, that I think can help us discern our principal gifts and refine and maximise their potential. Not for our own sakes, remember, never for our own sakes. So some questions to ask yourself around affinity, ability and opportunity. What are the things that get me interested or excited? What are my interests and passions? I'm calling that affinity. What am I good at? What do other people say that I'm good at? Let's call that one abilities. But perhaps most importantly, if we put the desire to simply serve as the key principles, let's name opportunity. What needs to be done? What doors are open and which ones are closed? I doubt God will gift you in a particular way and then not provide an opportunity for you to use it. And if you think that's the case, maybe it's time to reconsider if that really is a dominant, legitimate spiritual gift or if in fact God is asking you to do something else that perhaps doesn't excite you quite as much. And lastly, I would say be open. God is a God of surprises. And sometimes we don't know ourselves as much as we think we do. We may have latent gifts that we've never even considered as a possibility. Your proven abilities may not be where God wants to use you next or where he can use you most effectively. And as you serve in a range of ways and areas, as you seek to address real needs in a self-sacrificial way, you may be surprised by what God blesses and the impact and potential of something that, that clearly indicates an only God purpose. Here's the real point. 
spiritual gifts within themselves are not the path of greatness. Servanthood, simple service in the manner and way of Jesus is the path of greatness. Firstly, Mark, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And Paul again, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And now about 25 years ago, a, a very wealthy stockbroker um, called Kevin Bradley was engrossed in that very fast-paced, big-money world of Wall Street. And he and his wife, Marilyn, led a very, very comfortable life indeed. And Kevin and Marilyn were Christians. They were members of their local church. They served as volunteers. Um, it was a very affluent church. And no doubt they were generous givers and hopefully they were even tithers. Um, but the city where they lived had more than its fair share of homeless people living on the streets, um, somewhat like where we live. And every day, Kevin walked to work past dozens of them. Most people walked fast and avoided eye contact. I think you know what that looks like. But something within Kevin found that impossible. And instead, he got to know the people that he passed. He learnt their names. He often took them out for breakfast. He offered a listening, caring ear. He got really interested in who they were. Now, Kevin didn't Want to minister, didn't want to be, didn't want a mission to the homeless. It was not something he'd ever envisaged for himself. But he couldn't shake the fact that there was a need that God was drawing him to. There was a possibility that God was asking him to do something about that need. And he remembered briefly back in college, he'd sensed a call to ministry long before he'd discovered that he had a natural talent and ability for financial matters and the world of big business. And remarkably, after a lot of prayer and soul searching and simply seeing the need in front of him, Kevin quit his job and started a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to the homeless, becoming independent members of their community. And in addition to meeting their emergency needs like food and shelter, the foundation created um, uh, teachers life, that Bradley created, teaches life skills and offers motivational, spiritual and vocational training so that men and women learn how to channel their God-given talents and desires into productive and satisfying lives and careers. And today, the Outreach Foundation continues to grow and has a national impact across the US. Albert Schweitzer, a French medical missionary and musician, once said, life becomes harder for us when we live for others, but it also becomes richer and happier. It's simple stuff, really. And at its heart, that's what we've always known from Scripture. And it's certainly something that the Kevin Bradleys of this world have discovered. I believe that possibility and calling 
is there for every single one of us, not alone, but together, gifted and empowered by God's Holy Spirit for his glory, stewards of grace and agents of transformation to a world, the world that Bronwyn articulated, badly needs it. So I would love to pray for us. Let's pray. So gracious God, rather than being hapless and helpless bystanders in this world, it really does seem that you've gifted and graced us in particular ways to serve you in our world. So this day, we pray that you would give us each wisdom and courage, the first to discern how you have gifted us, and the second that we might step out and use what it is that you've given us. May this not ever be about us, Lord, but about building up the body of Christ to be agents of transformation and grace in and through this place that we call home. And we pray that together we might grow, we might impact our community, our city and our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.